Josh's grades not only went up, but his confidence went up. Josh started to work in groups. Josh stopped hiding. I don't think my learning style was ever obvious to me as a kid because I didn't know that there were different learning styles. But looking back, I know that being given something real and tactile to work with would have kept me from sort of bouncing out of my seat because the biggest discomfort of my learning was sitting for such long periods of time. Every day we wake to find new challenges that make our experience of life joyous and overwhelming and terrifying and wonderful and just about every other adjective imaginable. Put simply, our experience of being alive is complex. Every moment of daily stimulus is a new input and connection to our brain seamlessly integrating the ever-expanding complexities of synapses and memory. Like nature itself, we are constantly learning and growing. Similarly to our nuanced and complex lived experiences, the way our brains process and internalize data is just as distinctive. We all learn differently. Shouldn't we give ourselves the chance to learn how to learn? I'm Lisa Dumas. Welcome to Learning to Learn, a toolbox podcast for navigating the learning experience. Though the models for various types of learning are institutionally and personally based, there is an understanding that three major learning categories exist. Visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Visual learners learn through visual representation of media like graphics, text, or imagery. Oral learners learn through hearing information, such as lectures, discussion, or vocal repetition. Kinesthetic learners learn by hands-on activities and physical manifestations of data and information. How do you discover your personal learning style? Through discussion, through conversation, through thoughtful and intentional reflections on lived experiences and personal hurdles. By reflecting on lived experience, we can better understand how to improve our learning environments and affect actionable change to how we learn. Today, we'll be opening up with two families as we hear about their personal learning discoveries and strength through difference. Meet Josh. It was basically about a snake rats invading like a town. A snake body, two rat arms, and a rat head. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my younger brain thinking. <laughs> Josh has an immaculate imagination. The person you heard laughing in the background is his mom, Jennifer. Later in this episode, we'll hear about Josh's learning journey and how a little intentional communication can go a long way. But now I'm joined by Cliff. Cliff is a parent of a child who has experienced challenges with learning. Cliff, thanks for being here. Well, thanks. Nice to be here. So today, our goal is to gain a little bit more insight into your family's journey with education and your personal learning process. Was there a moment in your child's life when you discovered that they were struggling with a certain style of learning? And what was that like? Yeah, uh, frustrating, because I think that what we recognized was she was very bright. She was very outgoing. She loved the experience, at least to start with. And then slowly, I think what we started recognizing is that she wasn't completing homework, especially in math and science. And I guess the good thing, and you hope your children all have this attribute, is that 
she was being open about her struggles, which allowed us some insight into some of the challenges that she was having and start to put a plan in place to overcome some of them. Mm-hmm. As a mom myself with a kid at home who struggled, it seems to be frustrating at first because you wonder, why isn't this happening? And then as you get deeper, you start to understand a little bit more. Did she mention what specific challenges she was having? Yeah, math. She would ask the teacher to explain certain concepts multiple times, which we encouraged her to do. And the teachers were always great, but in a big classroom, it's hard to kind of identify and spend as much time with a single child as you possibly can when your child size could be anywhere from 15 to 30, depending on what school you go to. So that, I think, became a challenge for her. The level of frustration, it starts to erode at her self-confidence. Slowly, I think, as mom and dad, we start seeing that and going, wow, okay, something's changing here. Did you see learning challenges at school manifest at home when it came to behavior, when it came to emotions? Well, I think that she started losing interest in school, which was a surprise because, you know, for the first five or six years of her life, she just loved being in school. She loved the community. We got a different kid when she came home. Clearly something had happened at school that made her feel less than. And whether it was, you know, those early years, whereas a, a child who loved to perform and was a, and still is a theater kid, basically had the love and affection of all of her teachers. When it came to the academics, and she recognized that she wasn't performing up to a certain standard, at least her own standards, or maybe the teachers, she was very aware of the teachers not being totally satisfied. And then that was complicated because, of course, she would come home with grades or tests, and we would see that, okay, you didn't work hard enough, or you didn't study hard enough, or maybe when you said you were playing, you weren't doing the work you needed to do. As parents, I think that's what we, we default to. And as you get deeper and deeper into this, you recognize, oh, wait a minute, those aren't the things that she's faced with. She's actually struggling because of reasons that we haven't identified yet. How did this impact you as a dad personally? Well, wow. Okay. I kind of just got a chill when you asked me that question, because I think that what immediately happens is as a parent, you're confused, you're frustrated immediately with the school system. But I think the recognition is that everyone can flourish if they're given the right tools and not everybody can flourish in a group environment. But in today's school system, it's challenging to have that one-on-one contact that I think so many kids need. And I think it, it paints a very different picture of a child that exists in a school and that child you see at home. So when we would have conversations with the teachers about what was going on in school, as some of these challenges started to come up, who would they would describe to us was not the kid that we had at home. And that realization, I think, as a parent, first of all, you have to get past your own ego and deal with those emotions, but then you have to kind of take a step back and realize, okay, I have to get educated. I have to understand what's happening. I have to advocate for my child. That's when a whole other gear kicks in. How was the struggle that she was experiencing reshaped by these conversations and by the actions that she took? That was a bumpy road because Nobody gives you the roadmap to try to figure out what you need to do in order to 
identify, first of all, what might be going on. That's the biggest challenge. And from an institutional standpoint, honestly, I felt like we weren't really getting the support that I thought we would be getting until we made some personal hard choices to look outside of the traditional system. Cliff and his wife decided to sign their daughter up for personalized tutoring. And I think that that's really where we started to see some big advancements. And not only did that choice help her in school and in grades and to move along in the educational system, but it helped her personally too. I think convincing her that she wasn't defined by grades and everyone learns differently, which is something we had to recognize, but convincing your child of that to overcome their own barriers and their own thoughts in the head, uh, we would encourage her interests. And our kid, like many, eventually got diagnosed with ADHD, which means if they're interested in something, they can immerse themselves in it. But if they don't have any interest in it, then it's almost next to impossible for them to engage and succeed at that. So that, that was a big, that was a big moment for us. It can be so challenging for kids to look around and feeling like everybody else can succeed in specific areas, but they're floundering and they're struggling. So it's sometimes so helpful to look outside for some additional help and some answers. Mm -hmm. So once she had that answer, oh, there's actually a name for what I'm struggling with. There's a reason that I'm disinterested in this or that I procrastinate when it comes to homework. What was that experience like? Oh, life-changing. I mean, I think it gives a whole new understanding of some of the standards in today's educational system. It's not and can't be a one-size-fits-all. So we discovered that she thrived in a one-on-one -on -one situation. That absolutely changed the game for her. Based on those experiences with your daughter, what would you say that her learning style is? How does she process information? I think she's tactile. She likes to touch. She likes to see the technique of explaining something that maybe had been explained in a different way prior to having that one-on-one -on -one contact where she feels like she can really focus and ask the questions that she needs to ask without being rushed because there might be 10 or 15 kids kind of leaning in behind going, I have the same question or I have a different question or I have to pee. I think that those are things that all really were relevant with her being able to embrace a topic that she had struggled with before. Listening to long lectures for our kid anyway, her eyes would roll back and she'd get lost in her head and lose focus on what she was dealing with and talking about. And in a, a more tactile environment, she stayed focused. So you learned that individual learning was really helpful for your child. Has it made you consider how you learn and your, your relationship to learning? Well, I, I think it identified the fact that I'm probably a bit of a shiny object guy too. When I realize some of the things that she has had to be challenged with, I can look back and go, oh, okay, I understand that. I think that was very much me at that age, but they didn't have a name for it back then. So to be able to give your kid these tools at such a young age where they can identify, I understand 
what it is that I'm faced with, and I understand how I can better learn these things that I not only need to learn, but I want to learn. Wow. You know, those are things I didn't get into until I was maybe in my 40s. And she's got them now uh, at the age she is, is now, early 20s. That's a gift. I have a lot of compassion for you and for every parent who's dealing with a child who's struggling in school because we only just want the best for them. We want them to meet all the potential that we see in them. We want them to have an easier life perhaps than we did. We want them to achieve and be proud of themselves and feel good and maybe even do better in math than we did. <laughs> that wouldn't be hard for me, honestly. <laughs> me either. Honestly. Me either. When I think about being back in the classroom as a younger student, I think about really struggling as a kid. This is Grace, Cliff's daughter. It was hard to understand material and to stay engaged and to stay in my seat. Uh, I have such distinct memories of being handed back tests by my peers and them like stifling laughs when my grade was zero. And sometimes it felt like I was an alien. You know, I'd look around and everyone's faces were focused. Their eyes were like furrowed towards the whiteboard. And I made up for my lack of understanding by being a very disruptive participant, um, always cracking jokes and being involved in the only way I knew how. Because what my brain was really focused on was the flickering lights I could see from my seat at the end of the hall or the whir of the computer or the tick of a clock. I was so easily distracted processing all that stimuli and learning in an environment that only catered to one learning style made me feel isolated and sometimes even stupid and didn't move me to try harder in the classroom or to further socialize with my peers. I had one really close friend in high school and it was someone whose brain worked kind of like mine who was labeled as lazy or dumb because we weren't being seen. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, I just felt kind of sad. When I spoke to my family about it after receiving a diagnosis, they only knew it as sort of the quote unquote naughty boy disease, you know, because boys are expected to be disruptive and loud. Now I know that it's always been easier for me to learn in an environment where I could visualize what my teachers were trying to teach me without kind of grounding in reality, like that tactile sort of sense. My brain would stop trying to understand what was being taught and I'd start daydreaming. I don't think my learning style was ever obvious to me as a kid because I didn't know that there were different learning styles. But looking back, I know that being given something real and tactile to work with would have kept me from sort of bouncing out of my seat. Math was the biggest struggle of mine because there were so many concepts and nobody could explain to me why it was happening. Like, why are we using X's? I don't get it. Why are there letters in math? So when we were given sort of little blocks to represent the numbers or to represent the problem, it was much easier for me to visualize what was happening. As long as I had something sort of grounding me into the learning environment, something to touch, something to put the two worlds together, sort of how my brain thinks and what is being taught by a traditional learning environment, it was much easier for me to understand. After I was able to process this 
sort of diagnosis, this realization that things might have been easier for me at some point, I decided to advocate for myself in school. So having something to fiddle with during a lecture helped me stay sort of planted in my seat. One-on-one -on -one time with professors allowed me to understand and engage with the material. I wear earplugs that block out background noise to help me stay focused on the topic at hand and not all the other stimulus that can really easily overwhelm me. I work with a therapist who has me work realistically with my executive dysfunction, which is basically a disruption in my ability to manage my thoughts, emotions, and actions. And I am most of all gentle with myself because as much as ADHD can make my learning hard, it also makes me a unique and creative student who sees things in ways others may not. And to focus on that kind of strength has changed my mindset about myself as a student exponentially. I think that everybody is so different. For me, the way that I sort of see the world is in a very artistic sort of view. If I had the ability to take a project in any classroom and make it creative, like making a movie or making an art project or making it about social justice in some way, that was always the way that helped me learn the best. If it was something that I was really passionate about, I was able to really throw myself into it. And I think that having a different way of learning or a different way of looking at things helps the world be a little bit more soft and a little bit more accommodating and a little bit more understanding. I think that we need people who think sort of outside the box to help us move forward as a society. And Grace's initial challenges with learning definitely haven't held her back. Because I work better in a more tactile environment, I took a break from more traditional schooling and I went to get my license as a massage therapist because it fulfills me in all the ways that I need to be fulfilled. It has my that little burst of social justice that I love to pursue. So I want to work with queer and neurodivergent youth um, to help them feel more present in their bodies. And that whole experience of being able to learn in this environment with all of the knowledge that I've bolstered myself with about how I learn um, has really inspired me to be able to continue and pursue my degree, so my psychology degree, so I can work with neurodivergent and queer youth in the future. It's been a really special thing to be to have the knowledge about myself that I didn't have before because it's allowed me to accommodate for myself and it's allowed my learning to be so much easier. There's not so much pressure because I know what I need now. Thank you to Cliff and Grace for sharing their story as a family and shedding light on what learning can look like. When it comes to academic or social struggle, oftentimes it stems from a miscommunication or misunderstanding. Even the best educators are forced to move along and leave behind those struggling due to lack of resources to adequately address the situation. Even when the teacher is unaware of the lack of retention, rarely is there time to stop, assess, and address those who continue to struggle. 
These moments where we feel left behind, both academically and socially, are the moments to recognize that standard learning processes are not all-encompassing. Inspecting what it is that's affecting us and mindfully reflecting brings knowledge and opportunity to what can feel like a hopeless situation. By learning more about ourselves, we can turn a learning difference into a superpower. Let's circle back with Josh and Jen, who we heard from earlier. We first started to notice that Josh had a learning difference when it was flagged by his teacher in grade four. You know, she's noticing that there's a learning difference when Josh is doing written output. And it was interesting because my wife and I, we just thought it was messy writing. And because he's a messy writer, he would say to us, I just don't want to write a lot. Because, you know, I'm a messy writer. So, yeah, I just don't want to write a lot. Before I did learn, I actually had a learning difference. It was kind of difficult in school. Mostly like math and English were a struggle for me. Because math, I have trouble with like computing numbers and stuff. And then the other thing, English, I have trouble writing stuff out. So I didn't know what was going on. I thought there was something wrong with me back then. He would not want to do group projects because he had a sense that he was different and it made him uncomfortable. So he would often isolate and want to do projects on his own, but not tell us that, just, just do that and say, oh, no, I don't really need to do it with somebody. And how it affected him, I think, emotionally at school and in home is that because he was different and didn't understand why he was different at the time, it made him feel insecure. It made him avoid. It made him hide. What the grade four teacher said to us was that Joshua can read at grade level, if not above, and in fact, he's very articulate verbally, but that she was just concerned that his written assignments were not representative of what she saw and what she heard when Josh was in the learning environment. So she was like, there's a gap here and I don't quite understand. So my wife and I sought some assessment through a psychologist and through doing the testing we had learned that Josh was designated with dysgraphia which is a written output issue and dysgraphia as explained to us after getting the diagnosis is the frontal cortex is not fully developed from a neurodifference perspective and so what that means is Josh can read at grade level, he can be articulate as far as his verbal at grade level if not above but what happens from the brain to the hand in the written output perspective is not delayed, but a lot of what's in the brain does not end up coming out, i.e. why they call it a written output issue, and as I mentioned, is called dysgraphia. It came to me as a surprise. It took a little while to adjust to it. I just had trouble in like social groups, like with like because I thought I was different than other people, but turns out I'm not worse than someone. I'm just the same as them, just a bit different. One of the things that I experienced as a parent, knowing that Josh had this learning difference, was a lot of emotional angst, worrying about your child, worrying about were they going to get what they needed? Could you fix this? I think as parents, we rush in really quickly to try to fix 
And the fix is to remove the pain that the child's feeling. And so my immediate response was, how do I rush in to fix this? I don't want my child to be hurting. It was devastating on so many levels because sometimes watching your child in pain is the most helpless feeling. And if you could, you could wave a wand or snap a finger and wish it all away. I'd give anything for that. After the diagnosis, the conversations that we were having at home as sort of a starting point was actually for us to learn how to learn. And what that was, was the ability to understand this learning difference and understand how we could build support around Joshua. And that's finding resources and supports to wrap around Joshua to do that assisted learning in that way. And that assisted learning for us, as we had come to learn, was technology. Not only through typing versus writing, but also through dictation. Here's an example. So he was doing this class project and all of a sudden he's like, okay, mom, you can review it now. And I'm like, well, that's a deck. And he's like, yeah, I know. I created a deck. I said, what, you know how to do that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. The deck has a video in it. You did this? Yeah. I just went in and did the video. And I'm like, what? And this was, I think, a couple years ago. And I'm like, I never showed him that. He learned how to do it through YouTube. Technology has helped me a lot. It helps me like put my ideas down since I don't have to write it out now. I've written, written most of my stories on my old laptop. Technology has affected Josh in a positive way. It's given him more confidence. It's giving him the ability to not only feel confident, but to be able to be in deeper discovery of learning, whether it's using social media or it's using the internet to find things that pique his curiosity or that would excel his learning. Through not only technology assist, but also specialized tutoring, allowed Joshua to work with resource tutors and teachers that learn and speak in the same language. The analogy I use is having a conversation with someone in French that's not bilingual. And so it was really for us as parents to learn how he needed to learn. I liked most of my tutors and they were really fun to be around. And it was just really fun to like do stuff and actually learn from them. Yeah, I just felt his level of avoidance was substantially less. And he was actually doing the work and wanting to do the work, particularly when he wrote a story. It was basically about a snake rats invading like a town. And then someone has to, like, the main character has to try and stop the snake rats. The snake rats are just a snake body, two rat arms, and a rat head. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my younger brain thinking. <laughs> yeah, because that's the first time he had ever written out multiple pages of an English assignment. And we were like, what happened? It was amazing. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did it make you feel once you felt like you had somebody that understood you? It felt pretty good because someone f finally understood me, finally understood what I was doing and what I was going through. You know, Josh's grades not only went up, but his confidence went up. Josh started to work in groups. Josh stopped hiding. My confidence has changed, like, a lot. Like, after my diagnosis, I still was kind of, like, skeptical and, like, what am I doing? What is going on? 
But after the, about like a, a year after my diagnosis, I was getting tutored and I actually found like it was actually really cool to have it. And you know, it's ongoing learning because as things become harder in high school, we've constantly got to, you know, stop down and tweak that because there's always going to be that place of, for him, having to work harder than everybody else because he doesn't have a straight line. He has a line that has a right turn, a left turn, and then straight. So we have to, as parents, always be learning with him in order to provide the support. And Josh has also been able to reflect on how he learns best. He's a visual learner and a kinesthetic learner. You might remember that word from earlier in the episode. It means he learns through activities like crafting, performance, hands-on sciences, or even athletics. Yeah, I'm a kinesthetic learner. And I, <laughs> I also found I'm actually like somehow really good at multitasking. My learning difference is not a disadvantage to me. I actually see it as a superpower. It has greatly helped me before and it will continue to help me the rest of my life. I want to thank Jen and Josh for opening up about their family's journey with educational discovery. Hearing real stories from those who have gone through similar situations can illuminate the opportunity for others to thrive along paths that seemed impossible to navigate. It's seeing this possibility that makes it real. Knowing that something is possible allows the opportunity to exist within you. Oftentimes, we measure our personal success by the amount of accolades or awards we've received for this, that, or the other. Trophies, however, cannot take into account our personal success or journeys. What makes us great is our persistence. It's our tenacity and our courage to be vulnerable, to be curious, and to be willing to want more. Learning isn't about generalized presets and markers for academic success. It's about our never-ending search for knowledge in an ever-changing world. And by openly discussing the ways in which we perceive and take in that world with ourselves and our families, we collectively craft the foundations of lifelong learning without shame and without fear. We embrace failure as a token of growth and we journey forth reminding ourselves every day that learning is a process. We remind ourselves every day by learning to learn. I'm Lisa Dumas. Thank you for being here today on this journey of discovery. We hope that our guests' insights and vulnerability have shed some light on our common and communal journey through lifelong learning. Thanks to Sylvan Learning for supporting this episode. Sylvan understands that learning doesn't happen because you open a textbook. Learning is what happens when a mind connects. It's that magic moment when a concept clicks, when the light goes on, when your child finally understands the answer to that long, elusive question. No two children are exactly alike. They learn in different ways and at different paces. I'm going to leave you now with this powerful insight and evergreen advice from Grace. It's so hard and complicated giving advice because I think that there's this pressure to conform in school and being quote unquote like different is so scary. But what I would say is there's nothing wrong with you. You are not problematic or bad or 
different or off. We are as a society just not equipped in traditional learning environments to cope with people who need to be accommodated. I'm convinced that yes, learning differences help create a more inclusive, aware and kind schooling environment, but this doesn't come without support. Kids need a support system who works with and believes them. Adults need to be engaging with students in ways that don't make them feel ashamed, that instead make them feel seen. So if your kiddo is struggling, they need your voice to bolster theirs.